0: You're listening to the D&B Supply Show Podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking all about getting your lawn prepared for that long, cold winter that's coming up. Oh, I know it's hard to talk about already, but just a week or two left of summer Then we're into fall, and then pretty soon the ground will freeze. It's really going to happen. So what can you do to get your lawn prepared so next spring it comes out, it's off to the races, and you've got a beautiful and healthy lawn all spring and summer long? Well, today we're going to have an expert guest on coming to us from Simplot Partners and talk to us all about fertilizer application, the way to do that, what to use, when to do it, and everything that you need to know so your lawn is beautiful and vibrant and healthy next year. I hope you enjoy it. Joining me now is Pat Shear, and Pat is an outside sales representative with Simplot Partners. Pat, thank you so much for coming on today and agreeing to talk to us all about fertilizer and our lawns, and, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. You bet. Looking forward to this discussion and uh, looking forward to finding out how we can do things right in our yards and, and all of that. And I thought maybe before we got into all that, I'd ask you about you. So what is Simplot Partners as opposed to Simplot? How does that all work, and what do you do there? Well, you you uh, you got my name, Pat Shear. Uh, I do the outside sales with
1: Simplot Partners. So Simplot Partners versus the JR Simplot Company versus Simplot Grower Solutions. You probably hear Simplot a lot around uh, the area here. But Simplot Partners, we're the turf and ornamental division. We're the non-ag division of Simplot. So we, we sell fertilizers, chemicals, grass seeds, um, that kind of stuff, hydro mulches, anything landscape related. So our markets that we go after, you know, the golf course markets, landscape companies, uh, we sell, you know, there's a little bit of homeowner business there, uh, here or there, but we like to leave that in the hands of DMB supply. (laughs) Okay, Um, But we go after, you know, nurseries, we do uh, sod farms, that kind of thing. So anything turf related, landscape related usually would run through uh, Simplot Partners. We have a branch out in Caldwell, Idaho uh, that uh, we service Southern Idaho out of. Now, how did you get started in this business? Well, I I grew up in South Dakota, so I've uh I've have some ag roots, I guess, but I never really wanted to become a farmer, but I always wanted to go into sports turf golf course management. So I left South Dakota in 1989 and ventured out to Southern California and I uh, I got a degree in horticulture, uh, emphasis in turf management from Cal Poly Pomona. Got my degree and ended up on a golf course down in Southern California. I did the golf thing three to four years and ended up getting into the sales side. So, you know, I've been selling fertilizers for about 21 years now. And just uh, the last eight years I've been in, in the Boise area, so... Loving the move to Idaho, and the climate's a little better for me, a little more mm-hmm. what I was used to growing up, and uh, I, I really enjoy it here. And
0: Well, you know, it is a lot, the same up here, but uh, it's not South Dakota. We don't get quite as cold, not quite as much A little snow. milder
1: winter, and I like that. Yeah. I like that, but still got the four seasons.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to help us understand today how to treat our lawns and all of that during this time of year and what we need to be doing to prep for winter and to give our lawns and, and everything in our yard the best advantage coming out next spring. Sure. And so I guess we'll start off asking about the timing. So is this time of year even a time when we do want to be applying fertilizer?
1: Yeah, you definitely want to keep your turf healthy going into winter. So uh, fall application of fertilizers uh, is, in my mind, a necessity. We generally like to do anywhere four to five applications of fertilizer throughout the year. So timing-wise, yeah, it you know, a mid-September, mid-October application is is perfect for us uh, to get that final app in. Some people, you know, choose to go two apps or three applications and things tend to lean out a little bit and, and you lose here on the front end, on the back end, whatever. But we, we want our turf strong and healthy going into the winter months so it can overcome a lot of those stresses and come out looking a lot better.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we've got to take a couple commercial breaks during this. So let's take our first break. And then when we come back, I want to kind of
2: dive into this a little bit deeper. Okay. Travel back in time for an immersive and inspiring lesson in science, technology, engineering, and history at the Warhawk Air Museum in Nampa, Idaho. At the Warhawk, you and your family will find some of the most iconic classic planes found anywhere in the West and learn how American aviation technology evolved from propellers to jet engines. And while you're there, you'll come to know the personal stories of the veterans whose commitment and sacrifice help make our nation what it is today. For passes and more information about visiting the Warhawk Museum, go to warhawkairmuseum.org.
3: Doc Martens became a household name in 1960 when their first work boot with a revolutionary air cushioned sole rolled off the production line. Since then, they've been supporting the workforce from factory floor to construction sites with lightweight, flexible footwear that keeps you comfortable and safe with tons of toe protection, waterproof leather, and slip-resistant soles. Doc Martens Work Boots, industrial strength for any job site. Pick up a pair today at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Pat. Well,
0: now that we're back, I want to kind of get into this a little bit. So you do a lot, obviously, with big, huge areas of lawn like golf courses. And so is that, is it just a matter of scaling? Is it the same type of management, a piece of turf like a golf course It is for somebody's yard and just it's on a larger scale?
1: Yeah, for the most part. You know, we try to keep things simple and and basic and yeah, whether you're managing 150 acres or whether you're managing 3000 square feet the principles are still the same.
0: Now, when we go through a summer and a typical summer for where our listening audience is located, so mm-hmm. down around Twin Falls, up here in the Treasure Valley, Baker, Lagrand, Oregon and over in Pendleton, uh, we're all kind of close to the same region is the hot temperatures and the dry temperatures we get during the summer. Is that hard on our lawns?
1: It is. It is. We see a lot of stresses through through the summer months from insect diseases i mean the grasses were growing up here uh in idaho they're cool season grasses they're not hot season warm season or anything like that they're cool season grasses so when temperatures start creeping up you know in the in the low 90s on up you know to 105 and we had a pretty good stretch of 100 plus days here in july uh these grasses start checking out they're stressed their tolerances decrease so you know, we start to see disease encroach. We start to see insects that become more prominent. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times healthy grass in proper temperatures can withstand a certain amount of pest pressures. You know, they have thresholds that they can grow out of Mm -hmm. and we don't have to treat. But yeah, once those hot temperatures kick in, these grasses start heading south. So we really got to push them hard. And a good fertilizer program, uh, you know, it, it certainly helps. If you have wheat grass going into summer, mm-hmm. it's like wheat grass going into winter; uh, it doesn't fare
0: well. Uh, why in the world do we grow cool season grasses in a place that gets so warm and dry?
1: Well, believe it or not, we do see Bermuda grass up here in patches, which Bermuda grass is a warm season grass. But warm season grasses tend to. They'll go dormant in the winter, which cool season grasses do too, but it's just, they come out of spring so much slower with warm season grasses. We, we wouldn't end up with a green lawn until late May, early June up here. Okay, Most people want to start seeing a green lawn in May, mm-hmm. you know, and then those warm season grasses would tend to shut down a little quicker, probably towards late October, mid, mid late October you know, where's where they'll start going dormant. Once we start getting frosty mornings, they start turning brown or Mm -hmm. or liming out, you know, going lime green and then turning brown eventually. So we get a lot longer of, uh, of kind of a
0: peak growing season with the cool season grasses here in Idaho. So, and no matter which it is, warm season grasses or cool season grasses in the winter, when we get into our freezing temperatures, They're both going to go dormant?
1: Those grasses will go dormant, yes. And by dormant, we initially start to see them probably early December when we start getting some good hard frost. They'll start to, well, they're definitely not growing, but they might start kind of yelling a little bit. But once you know we get a real hard cold snap where our Mm -hmm. days aren't getting above 30 is when they start turning straw brown color until mid-February when we start warming back up. And then Mm -hmm. they kind of start generating some new growth and, and growing out of that. So what is the grass
0: doing during that period of dormancy?
1: It's just going to sleep, basically. You know, it's not metabolizing, it's not producing chlorophyll, it's not photosynthesizing. It's just going to sleep. It uh, doesn't like those cold, harsh temperatures, and mm-hmm. and uh, they're not going to grow. So okay, kind of why we just want to put them to bed in the
0: fall with with a, you know a shot of some winterizer fertilizer. Well, I guess the next question then would be how far in advance of that hard freeze. Like, what's the ideal timing for applying this last treatment of fertilizer, or however you phrase it, to our lawns before dormancy?
1: We'll hear winterizer thrown around a lot pretty loosely. And I think a lot of people have different definitions of what winterizer means. And And we don't want to be going out in the middle of December throwing fertilizer. It's a waste of money at that time. Okay, It's not doing anything. You're going to lose some fertilizer as it's breaking down with either some kind of moisture, rainfall, snowfall as it's melting down, the ground's going to probably pretty much be frozen. So we're losing it to runoff, off, uh, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So winterizers, in my mind, and we want to get them in the ground. We want to get them to start breaking down. We want to get them working. We want the plant to respond. So that means we want to go out before that plant shuts down. I generally start pushing winterizers, you know, mid-September through late October is kind of the window of when we want to get those down and get them going.
0: So now when you're using the term winterizer, that's uh, in terms of this discussion, that's a new term to me. So what does that mean?
1: Well, it's basically your last application of the year. And when we say winterizer, typically what I like to see in a winterizer is a fertilizer that has anywhere from, say, 12 to 15, maybe up to 20% potassium, Okay. which is the third number in a fertilizer analysis, uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Higher potassium just helps the plant build up extra protein, sugars, carbohydrates to help it through, help it build up cell wall strength to go into winter strong. That's what potassium will do in the plant. So I like anywhere from yeah ten twelve to twenty percent potassium fertilizer with nitrogen. So you know an ample amount of nitrogen going out mid September mid October a twenty you know twenty four to twenty five percent nitrogen. But, with some slow release nitrogen as part of that component, mm-hmm. so we don't want to go out with a huge burst of all readily available quick release nitrogen right before the plant goes into dormancy you're going to be wasting a lot of it you're going to it's going to leach out it's going to run off the plant isn't going to be able to use all that If you have a fertilizer that has a fair amount of slow release nitrogen, fifty percent up to you know sixty five seventy percent. The plant will be able to use some of that in the fall, Mm -hmm. but as the soil temperatures drop, the plant growth slows down going into winter, that nitrogen won't release. It needs soil temperature to release, so that nitrogen is just going to kind of sit there along with the plant through winter and be ready to go in the spring as temperatures start warming back up. So, you know, if you, if you choose a fertilizer that has uh, a fair amount of that in there, you may not need to jump right away in March with a fertilizer application. You can maybe postpone that a little bit because you already have some fertilizer in the ground still working from last fall. So, in my mind, that's what a winterizer is. Something with an ample amount of slow-release nitrogen, but with a higher number of potassium than what a normal like midsummer fertilizer would have or a, or a late spring.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take another break, and when we come
2: back, I want to ask you a little bit more about the nitrogen in there. Okay. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia Boots, available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia Boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earn the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia
3: boots at your favorite D&B supply. For cats and kittens with carnivorous cravings, D&B carries Merrick Perfect Bistro Grain-Free Cat Food, all-natural, high-protein food that's a great value. Merrick Grain-Free Foods are cooked in the USA with the best ingredients for complete nutrition. There's nothing but the good stuff in the recipe, with no corn, wheat, soy, or byproducts. And without the grain, it's easier for your furry friend to digest. Merrick Grain-Free Cat Food, available at select d b supply stores. All right, Pat, so we've got N, P, and K.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to see on a bag of fertilizer. So we've got nitrogen, phosphorus, and then potassium. Yep. Right? Yep. So you told us what the potassium's doing, right? That's for the root growth and the and the structure of the roots and the cells, in there, correct?
1: Yeah, potassium's kind of the all-purpose plant strength uh, nutrient. Phosphorus is specific for root development. It also plays a little role in photosynthesis, but we use phosphorus a lot when we're doing new plantings, new sodding, mm-hmm. or, uh, new seeding, that type of thing. We'll have a starter fertilizer that has an ample amount of phosphorus. Okay. Nitrogen is the most important element, though, that we're talking about, and mostly uh, because nitrogen is the uh, element that leaches out or that we lose the fastest. The plant uses nitrogen faster than any of the other elements. Nitrogen will leach on us. We'll lose nitrogen through the nitrification cycle through ammonification. Uh, so we got to continually replace nitrogen throughout the year where potassium is a little more stable. We do lose a little potassium through the year, but phosphorus is very, very stable in the soil. Okay. Our soils around this area have a lot of phosphorus in them. Some of it is tied up. So I do like fertilizers throughout the year that might have a small percent of phosphorus in them. So you're continually just adding a little bit at a time as we go through our four or five applications of fertilizer through the year. But you do not need to add a, a full-blown amount of phosphorus through the year on a on an established yard.
0: Now, you mentioned two terms that I want to make sure we explain to the listeners. So, uh, you talked about leaching and ammonification. Could you start with leaching? What is that?
1: Leaching is elements convert in the soil. Urea nitrogen would turn into ammoniacal nitrogen. Ammoniacal nitrogen will break down into nitrate nitrogen. Nitrate nitrogen can be taken up by the plant or it can move with water through the soil profile down past the root zone. Okay. Into groundwater, into lake streams. So we got to be careful, you know, with mm-hmm. the amount of quick release nitrogen we're putting on. That's why a lot of fertilizers will have slow release component to it to help stabilize and and control the release of that nitrogen, so the plants don't lose it, so they mm-hmm. can utilize what you're putting
0: out. All right, Pat. So I wanted to clarify a couple things that that we kind of went through. So. One of the things to be concerned about if you apply your your fertilizer or your winterizer too late in the fall is if the ground freezes, there is a chance that you could be wasting some of that fertilizer.
1: Yeah. So, as ground freezes, you know, and you're still getting moisture on top of it. You know, if the ground's frozen, moisture isn't penetrating in to help carry nutrients into the root zone. Mm-hmm. Plus, the plant's laying there it's not metabolizing it's not being able to take those nutrients up so yeah you'll either lose some through runoff or or you know slow release nitrogen isn't going to be converting it'll be sitting there too but plants aren't metabolizing for the most part so okay yeah throwing fertilizer out you're better off just waiting until if you didn't get your fertilizer application out you know in October, or, you know, if if we're still getting some warm weather, first part of November, you're probably still OK there. But if you didn't get it out, you might as well just wait until, you know, March
0: or when we're starting to get uh, some good warm days in the spring to do it then. Got it. And I wanted to ask about that, too, because I've seen this happen a couple winters ago here where in November we froze really hard and the ground froze. Mm-hmm. But then we actually thawed out and the soil thawed back out in December. Mm-hmm. Now, if we see a situation like that and somebody had missed their window to do a fall application of fertilizer, could they do it then once the ground's thawed back out or are they still just kind of throwing...
1: In my mind, you're still just kind of throwing money away. And, and I, I can remember back two years ago when we had that scenario and you know, a lot of people were trying to play catch up and, and mm-hmm. get everything done. Uh, because they thought they had to, but all in all, the plant was shut down. We might've still had some chlorophyll in the plant, making it look like, oh yeah, it's still growing, but for the most part, it was done for the year and, you know, just let her go. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. And now when it comes to, if you, if you find yourself in that situation and it comes to the the following spring, you know, we get in the spring, things grow so fast and so well. Mm-hmm. Are, should you apply fertilizer right then or should you wait until things slow down a little bit?
1: Yeah. When you come out of spring, there's going to be a surge of growth right away. So, you really, you probably can wait a little bit. You know, I try to target around April one. Some people, you know, if if we're not getting any rainfall, I mean, we need to get these fertilizers broken down somehow. So we either mm-hmm. need rainfall or we need irrigation. So if, if you're relied on pressurized irrigation, that kind of thing. A little closer to April 15th might be your day, you know, but yeah, generally speaking, you don't need to get on there May 1st and get your application down because there's there's still a surge of growth as it's, you know, because it's built up reserves uh, as it went into winter, hopefully, and coming out, uh, there's still going to be a a little bit of those sugars left to burn off and Mm -hmm. you're going to get a growth.
0: Do grasses, are they holding all of those reserves and all that energy? Is it all in the roots or is it in other places as well?
1: Oh, most of it's in the root system. Yeah. So, you know, typically the leaf blade, you know, from the fall is going to, it'll go straw brown. That leaf blade will not green back up in the springtime. The plant's going to regenerate new growth through Mm -hmm. the crown of the, the crown tissue. So the old leaf tissue from the previous year will just kind of become thatch microbial activity will end up breaking it down or you know a good practice that i like to see people do in in the fall or spring or both is aerification. maybe every couple years do a dethatching that kind of thing to help uh, clean up a lot of the thatch get some holes poked in the ground to let water penetrate a little better into the soil Mm -hmm. and that helps with you know
0: the dry spots the wet spots all that that you might see in your yard so that aerification, I've done it, and I've done it because I know I'm supposed to, but I've never really understood it. So it's it's poking a hole, and it's actually pulling that core out. Pulling the core out, yeah. Right? And so yep. that that's for water penetration.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, you get air down into the root zone. I mean, we have a lot of tight, hard, compacted soils here in this valley. I mean, heavy clays in mm-hmm. areas, and uh, and poking holes just helps loosen that up, you know, and allows better root growth and getting some air down in there to let them breathe, you know. But it also gives water an avenue to travel versus sheet off. I mean, I think you could drive around uh, in July and probably see a dry spot or or plenty in most people's yards and getting some holes poked in those uh, areas definitely helps rehydrate them and keeps the water from just running off and you know, then the plants
0: stress out, and <laughs> sure, you start to see them uh, go drought on you. So, even with uh, the active root zone with with grasses, over time that soil can get compacted. Oh, sure. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just the nature of the beast with these soils here.
1: Got it. Okay. Those heavy clays tend to just tie up, and they, I mean, some of they they're harder than concrete in areas. You know. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. You really got to work them. But yeah, I I recommend aerification every year, maybe a dethatching every two to three years or so.
0: Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask you more about dethatching.
3: Okay. Smart clothes are all the rage in Silicon Valley. But for us active Westerners, smart doesn't need to connect to the internet. It just needs to work right. Smart wool socks do exactly that. They're made of merino wool that doesn't itch. They're machine washable and dryer safe. Merino wool keeps you at exactly the right temperature, wicking away sweat so you're dry and warm when you need to be. They're much thinner than traditional wool, so no need to go up a size in your boot to fit your socks. Smart wool socks. The smartest thing you'll ever do for your feet. Slip into a pair today at your favorite D&B Supply.
2: Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds. Available at D&B Supply. Not all feeds are created equal. And not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the top line balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by d and B supply for top line balance from Neutrina.
0: Okay, Pat, before the break, you brought up thatching. So I wonder if you might uh, just explain to our listeners what that is and why it's beneficial.
1: Some people call it a power rake. Golf courses have uh, a little more sophisticated equipment called verticutters. But what it is, it's just it's a you have a you have a rod with blades that rotate vertically into the soil versus a lawnmower, which is horizontal across the surface. Okay, it's not penetrating necessarily all the way into the soil, but it's getting into that thatch area uh, where you have a mat of. Dead and decomposing grass, and that's what you're wanting to remove. Is is that it, it allows more air movement into the soil? It'll mm-hmm. you know it helps fertilizers reach the soil surface. It doesn't hold them up in that thatch. Chemicals, if you're putting any chemicals down, uh, a lot of that stuff can
0: get tied up in thatch. I'm sorry, just to clarify, so the thatch will actually prohibit. The fertilizer from getting down and making contact with the soil?
1: Yes, it can. You know, as fertilizers break down, you know, there's water's pulling them through that thatch layer. Mm-hmm. But if you can eliminate the thatch and get rid of that sponginess of your turf, uh,
0: it, it, you'll have a healthier stand of turf, yes. Okay. Yeah. So what in nature, if we weren't participating in the management of this grass, what would that thatch do? It would ultimately break down and it would go into the soil and... Well, if we're not managing and and
1: chances are, you know, it'll be relying on, uh, for nutrients, just rainwater, uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of organic matter breakdown will end up releasing certain nutrients. But yeah, I mean, if it's just out in nature, these grasses will look rather weak, but they won't be producing thatch as fast as they are in lawns.
0: Not a good point. When
1: we give lawns four applications of fertilizer a year, we're forcing growth, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying to do it managed, you know, but uh-huh. we're forcing growth. And, and when we force growth, we force thatch buildup, that kind of thing. So and we got to manage it. And are we right. adding to thatch buildup when we mow? You know, when you mow without baskets and recycle clippings and mulch and all that, you are adding organic matter back to the soil. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as that's breaking down, the initial lawn blades—if you're not mulching to a real fine mulch—if mm-hmm. uh, you're just running over it and you have, you know, I don't know, one to two inch lawn blade grass blades laying there on the lawn, mm-hmm. those do kind of work their way into the thatch layer and add to it. Okay, a good mulching mower is one that has a two rotating blades in opposite directions where it chops that up real fine to where it'll kind of work its way through the thatch layer and just break down into organic matter okay and remain there in the soil but mulching's good but you need to chop those clippings up into a fine enough matter to where they're not adding to your thatch they'll become organic matter but then in, in time they'll release nutrients back into the soil so mulching's a good practice
0: yes okay Now, one of the things that uh, you'll read about if you're researching this is they'll talk about the root zone and the grass, and they'll talk about the rhizomes or the rhizotomous roots. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, what is that?
1: So, rhizomes are underground stems. Kentucky bluegrass is a rhizomatous type of grass. So, you may see a, a plant of Kentucky bluegrass right next to your landscape border, and all of a sudden... Couple months later, you have another Kentucky bluegrass plant that's now popping up in your landscape bed where there's not supposed to be any grass. Mm-hmm. It popped up through a rhizome, so it's a it's an underground stem that came off uh, the mother plant, basically, mm-hmm. and shot under. You know, it grows underground, underneath landscape edging, whatever, and pops up. It spreads that way, and you can see it if you have bare spots in your yard. Over time, Kentucky bluegrass will start filling back in. That's doing it through rhizomes. Okay, and there are new perennial rye grasses out that are rhizominous, new tall fescues that are out now that are rhizominous. so these breeders are developing certain other species of grasses that have rhizomes and and uh, it's nice you know for athletic fields that kind of thing where you Mm -hmm. get a lot of uh, heavy wear and these rhizominous types are nice to help form a nice tight knit surface to
0: to withstand you know heavy heavy traffic now talking about nutrients for the soil so we talked about nitrogen phosphorus and potassium is there anything else that's beneficial to give to the soil this time of year or other times of the year i guess
1: there's certain elements i think there's 14 elements that are are necessary for plant growth but most of those we are not concerned about there are some you know sulfur uh we get a nice reaction in the soil our phs here tend to uh be a little higher in the in the valley here sulfur helps in that. So that's a nutrient that we look at and we use uh, quite regularly. We like iron. Iron's one of the micronutrients that uh, plants uh, require. We tend to maybe have some of these fertilizer blends with added iron to them. Nitrogen helps in the in chlorophyll production in the plant the green mm-hmm. color that we see nitrogen helps out but iron you get a real nice reaction in color response when you do an iron application so iron is one that we look at manganese magnesium they're all important but depending on and we take a look at you know through soil testing that kind of thing where we might be lacking and see where if we need to add an extra micronutrient or micronutrients uh plural we can tell that through soil testing but usually uh nitrogen phosphorus potassium most important sulfur iron or uh calcium is another one that's pretty important that we look at and try to incorporate it into our blends
0: well i'll tell you what let's take another commercial break and when we come back i want to talk about i guess how long
2: fertilizer lasts once we put it on okay D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle look sharp at the rodeo and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock
3: up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard working and hard playing people in the West and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long lasting great looking made in the USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots the fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All
0: right, Pat. So before we went into the break, I was having some thoughts about when we put fertilizer on. So how do you know or is there a way to estimate once you do an application of fertilizer, when you need to do it again, how do you know when you've depleted what you've added?
1: Well, there's a couple different factors that will determine that. The amount of slow-release nitrogen in the mix, it has a uh, dramatic effect on how long the fertilizer will last. The amount of fertilizer we put out will also have a direct effect on
0: how long that will last uh, in the soil and when we need to determine when to reapply. And that's kind of something you got to balance, it sounds like. You were talking earlier about... If you apply too much, then water can carry nitrogen down through the soil away from your roots. Yeah. And so then it's not doing you any good.
1: Yeah. So if we have fertilizer mixes that are blends that have uh, a higher amount of slow release nitrogen, we can typically apply a little more at one time without worrying about the leaching and, and losing it, you know, okay. to where the plant won't be able to utilize and us just wasting it if we have a fertilizer that has zero percent slow release nitrogen we really want to monitor how much we're putting out one you're going to see a huge surge in growth right when you you know after about three or four days after you put it out you might have noticed that when you fertilize your yard you get a mm-hmm. surge of growth if you're putting out way too much product of a fertilizer that has zero slow release then you're going to see a huge amount of growth to where you're probably mowing two, three days a week, Mm, you know, to keep up with it. Uh But you're also going to lose a fair amount of that where the plant isn't going to be able to use it. So we want to choose carefully, but it goes back to planning out your program, you know, three application, four application, five application program Mm -hmm. through the year. And when you want to time those out, so To get a fertilizer to last eight to ten weeks, you know, we need a slow release component to it. You know, maybe a a forty to fifty
0: percent, something like that. All right, now we've talked about the time in the fall to time this out. What about time of day? Does it is there a better time of day than other to apply fertilizer? You know, in the fall as temperatures
1: are cooling down, no. Midsummer, yes. I try to avoid applying in the in the peak of the day. You know, in the and where the heat's at its peak there, but. I like fertilizing in the evenings, you know, so your nighttime watering can come on and wash it down mm-hmm. in there. But generally in the fall, as our temperatures are starting to drop and cool down, the risk of burning is far less uh, than it is midsummer. So I'm, I'm not really too concerned about it. If, you know, you got to also worry about pets that kind of thing i I like to keep pets off it and it's not dangerous to them but i like to keep pets off until i can get it watered in i don't Mm -hmm. want them out there eating it you know i don't think too much would happen to them but you know it's just a good practice to so you gotta weigh those factors uh if it's you know an athletic field you gotta you know work around sports so Mm -hmm. i i generally like evening but uh if you're just doing your Home lawn or whatever, generally speaking, uh, you know, midday, late in the afternoon, it doesn't really make any difference. Okay. I always stress to water in, though, Uh, Mm -hmm. even though your chance of burning, like I said, is
0: far less. I still recommend watering in. Okay. And should that just be your regular set cycle for your sprinklers if it's automatic or does it need to be more or
1: less? Well, if I'm doing it in the evening, I just, uh, I like the nighttime cycle or early morning cycles enough. That's mm-hmm. fine. You don't need to, to give it a, an extra one. If you're doing it in the, in the morning, then maybe, yeah, kick it on, water your fertilizer in, and then you can turn it off or Twenty-four hours or whatever, sure, or a couple days. You know, if we're getting rainfall, you know, maybe time it with a rainfall, even, yeah. so you can do it that way.
0: If you get too much water, will it push that fertilizer you're applying you, past the roots? Yes,
1: yeah, so you can lose a little bit of the readily available source of nitrogen that mm-hmm. uh, might be in that mix. If you're overwatering that fertilizer, in you can lose some of that. Yes. Okay.
0: Now we've talked about all the timing uh, in terms of the time of year, the time of fall, time of day. What about your mowing? Should you be applying fertilizer a certain time after you've last mowed or before you're going to mow again?
1: I like to get it down right after a mowing, just so it has, you know, generally a full week to kind of work its way down into the thatch, through the thatch, whatever, get that stuff to try to break down a little bit and to where... The next time you mow, you're not going to pick up near as much. You'll probably pick up a little bit if you can mow without baskets after you fertilize. Mm -hmm. That's good practice. But if you're picking up clippings each week, definitely fertilize right after you mow and then give it a week or so to work in. And then by the time you mow again, the amount that you're picking back up in your baskets will be far reduced.
0: Okay. And now, is there anything we should be doing to help incorporate the fertilizer into the soil other than watering uh not really no watering's the method to get that stuff to break
1: down and everything so there there really isn't anything else you can do to get it broken down and into the into the surface of the crown of the plant or soil
0: surface all right so i want to ask you a couple really practical questions here so you talked about the numbers on a fertilizer bag a Mm -hmm. little bit but could you explain that again so there's going to be three numbers Mm -hmm. and they're all going to correlate to the ingredients but it doesn't necessarily say what each one correlates to on the bag you kind of have to know
1: yeah and when we choose a rate on fertilizer i'm basing it on the nitrogen content nitrogen is what we got to watch that has the highest burn potential. Okay. Okay. So generally speaking, we want to put out one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet of turf. Okay. So how we figure that is uh, if I have a fertilizer, that's a 25% nitrogen. So the first number is a 25 Mm -hmm. to get one pound of nitrogen. I take one divided by the decimal 0.25 and I get four. So, I need four pounds of fertilizer per thousand square feet to put out my one pound of nitrogen, okay? If I have a 33% fertilizer, I will need about three pounds or 3.3 pounds of fertilizer. Now, when I say that, I am also going to say that when we have fertilizers that have a fair amount of slow-release nitrogen, 50% on up, Mm -hmm. I'm going to bump up the rate a little bit that nitrogen is coated my burn potential is less so i can increase the rate a little bit without really increasing too much of a flush of growth but i'm gonna lengthen my duration of that fertilizer Mm -hmm. so if i if i hold a 50 percent slow release fertilizer at one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet i may get six weeks out of it if i go to a pound and a quarter of nitrogen or maybe If it's a higher slow-release content, I might go up to a pound and a half. I might now go from six weeks up to eight, nine, ten weeks of of release of that fertilizer, which to some
0: fertilizer programs, that's what they want it to do. Thank you for that. Now, I wanted to ask about disease and kind of closing this out. How can the use of fertilizer, how can that help your lawn to fend off disease? Well, like
1: I said earlier in the show, Plants can withstand a fair amount of pest pressures, disease pressure, insect pressure, that kind of thing, if it's healthy. Okay, so it has uh, tolerances and limitations and all that. So if, if your plant is starting to lean out, if the fertilizer's worn off and you haven't got back on to your next application yet, the turf is weaker. You know, it's mm-hmm. more susceptible to different diseases and different insects. So by keeping it healthy all year round, um, it may not eliminate, you know, build bugs are one. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter if the turf's healthy or not. They find their way in, but the turf can withstand a little bit of billbug pressure. If it is healthy and strong, you may not re- need to uh, treat them curatively, you know, to, to go after them once you do find grubs. But a good healthy program is really going to limit the amount of pest activity you're going to have throughout the year. And the ability to recover from, if you do have a little bit of disease and insect pressure, you know, a good healthy turf will recover that much quicker. If you end up with some dead areas in your yard from bill bugs uh, even though you're on a good, strong fertilization program, the turf's ability to recover into those areas and fill back in, you know, mm-hmm. through the rhizomes and everything is, uh, it speeds things up a lot quicker. So yeah, yeah. I mean, keep it healthy.
0: Well, and then speaking of disease, Pat, I know that last year we had a high incidence of snow mold. Is there anything that we can do about that? Snow mold isn't too
1: devastating of a disease. Um, There's fungicides that we can treat with preventatively ahead of snowfall and all that to help fight off the snow mold so the turf doesn't uh, become infected with that. But it's costly applications. Most people choose not to go that route. I recommend, you know, mow your turf down a little bit in the fall. Uh, get rid of, you know, we kind of keep our height, heights of cut up a little bit through the summer months, you know, to help overcome the hot stresses, helps with water retention, that kind of thing. But start mowing those uh, lawns down a little bit. You don't want to scalp your yard out by any means, but you don't need a three and a half, four inch blade of grass sitting up there. All it's going to do is... Once the snow comes, it's just going to fall over, and then it kind of starts rotting. You're okay. given you're given that snow mold a larger surface to establish itself on. So the lower you can mow it without you know injuring the grass, uh, the better off you are. So maybe drop your mower a height or a notch or so and clean that up a little bit. But if you see a little bit of snow mold uh, in the spring, and we saw a fair amount this last spring really all you need to do get out there once the snow is gone grounds are kind of thawed out let it dry a little bit first but get out there and just kind of rake it out the grass the crown of the plant isn't dead the crown of the plant's going to regenerate and push out new growth but you need to kind of you need to give the crown a little air and and get that dead mat of thatch where the snow mold spot was Mm -hmm. you need to kind of clean that up and get that thatch out of there so uh, the plant can regenerate but usually it's not one we typically will treat for with a fungicide golf courses on the other hand they have a little more at stake Uh, they want to get open as early in the the spring as they can for golfers Mm A lot of them may choose at least to protect their greens anyway for snow mold. So they, they will do some preventative applications. Home lawns, I don't think it's really necessary.
0: So, wow. So anyway. Well, that's a ton of information, Pat. Thank you very <laughs> much for coming on and sharing this all with us. I think that's really valuable. Well, I appreciate it, and, and thank you. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.